Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. In September 2020, Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is supporting the roots of music. The Roots of Music empowers the youth of New Orleans through music education, academic support, and mentorship while preserving and promoting the unique musical and cultural heritage of the city. This month, we're donating 10% of Mastis revenue to The Roots of Music. For more about what they do and how you can help, check them out at therootsofmusic.org. And if you'd like to participate in our sponsorship of music-related organizations, become a Mastis patron at patreon.com slash Mastis. Thanks for listening. Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. You bet your sweet bippy we talk about songs. Coming at you for episode number 204, I am your co-host, Mark Blankenship. And with me, as always, is my fandalacious co-host, Sarah D. Bunting. Hello, Sarah. Hello. Now... With me, not as always, but as today, uh, sure, that tracks. And always in our hearts. (laughs) That's right, and in our hearts every day, is our very, very special guest and executor of the Soikis Paynute Estate, it's Kevin Smokler. Hello, Kevin! Hey, guys. Thanks so much for having me. We are thrilled to have you back. Uh, Listeners with long memories might remember that you were with us many, many moons ago to talk about the car's magic. And um, it's glad I'm glad that this season has returned. Oh, me too. Like, yeah, when you said many moons ago, I was like, my God, it feels like, you know, in the dark crystal when like, like when the earth, when the solar system or the universe was young and, and we were all like a different species of Jim Henson puppet. And, um, <laughs> but yeah, last time I was here, we talked about the car's magic. And, and while I think on topic for today is only a few years after that song came out. It feels similar and yet very different, too. It's true. A different world, um, as Denise Huxtable taught us. So, (laughs) Sarah, speaking of the song that we're discussing today, this is one that you brought to the table. Do you want to give us a little taste? Sure. Uh, We are talking about Living Colors Glamour Boys. And here's how this came about and that Kevin is guesting on this particular episode. Um, Kevin and I have periodic uh, phone friend dates where we walk around our respective cities and just talk about culture and culture and more culture and occasionally we stop because a siren is passing someone and then we talk more about tv and music and so on and i think the last time that we were on one of our walking friend dates um we somehow got on the topic of um living color and i was like put a pin in whatever you're about to say and save it because this is on our list of masked ass topics coming up we definitely want to have you on the show to discuss it um and to discuss the band generally so uh say no more literally because mark and i never like pre go over our remarks before the shows or anything like that so perhaps you know. the listeners have deduced that before <laughs> <laughs> when we've sort of trailed <laughs> off after eight minutes and then just start talking about you know mark's penis um that he's the duchess of d for a reason um so we made sure to make space on this episode for kevin um this i forget why i originally wanted to talk about this song but um that that often happens that i have this like bolt 
in the shower of like, you know what we should talk about? And then I forget to write down why it came up for me. And then we record the episode and it's like, what brought this to your mind, Sarah? And it's like, I don't know, something shiny. But I, I adore this song and I have a very funny story about um, driving to the movies two towns over with my college roommate and my brother and a debate over who had heard the lyrics incorrectly better but I will get to that first. I think we should hear a clip and then discuss. So here is a clip of Glamour Boys, which I saved as Grammar Boys. Spoiler, that's where that's going. Corey Glover is my president. I will not be taking questions. Um, this song, <laughs> this song is score one vote for me. So singable and blastable and fun and poppy, but also it's like hardcore. I mean, I really wanted to clip like more than half the song, and I just couldn't. I couldn't figure out how to get the guitar bridge in there, which is like this um, corresponding to Corey Glover's voice whale. Uh, this is so poppy, but also so furious and his voice, like, oh my God, I wished the minute I started hearing living color a gazillion years ago that I could, that I had an instrument, um, with which to express fury like Corey Glover's. Um, but everything about this song is just perfectly built. It's perfectly done. Such a light touch. We used to love blasting it in college and we were blasting it on the way to the um, Morristown AMC theater when Estelle was like, wait, it's not grammar boy, grammar boys. And my brother and I are like, no. And then, uh, so we're all singing along and Estelle and I turned to the back seat and we're like, Dave, what are you singing? And he's like, I ain't no glamour boy. I'm famous. It's like, no, I'm fit. So we sort of spent the rest of the car trip arguing over whose mishearing of the lyrics was better. And uh, <laughs> I sing it. I sing both misreads um, as a matter of course, listening to this song. Um, this, this band is really sort of, um, there's a lot going on culturally. So Kevin, what, um, what was uh, attracting you to talking about this song and this band? Oh, wow. I, I have so much to say here. Like, I feel like I'm just going to start and I want one of you to cut in when I'm, when I'm, oh, we're I'm good really at that. going Don't too worry. many directions. At one. Yeah, okay, that's good, our, good, that's good. our MO. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad you you'll hear that. me so, do that <laughs> Southern lady on the phone thing where I go, well, <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, right. So, so Mark, what you're saying is I should start by talking about how you wash cast iron cookware with a scouring pad <laughs> and, and have you, um, <laughs> And have you just cut in immediately? Yeah. If um, you want to ruin your nice pan, that's what you do. Oh, my God. <laughs> that's so uh, interesting. How'd you learn all the lines? <laughs> that is why there are always metal filings in your cornbread. 
Um, I I cannot say enough good things about this song, and, and maybe maybe the only reservation I have is that it is part of, of what I consider perhaps the best debut album in pop music history. Um, and therefore, it is in such esteemed company. Uh, I think, Sarah, when you're talking about how this song has a light touch, I think it has an incredibly light touch. And there's also a bunch of stuff going on at once. And also sort of compared to the seriousness and, and the musical interest, intricacy of some of the other songs on Vivid, this album, it sounds almost tossed off and it doesn't hurt its quality one bit. Yeah. I can... I can totally picture this a song this Glamour Boys is a song where the members of Living Color like sat down between like between like lunch and coffee and were like Glamour Boys and and Vernon Reed was like Calypso sounding guitar riff and Will Calhoun the drummer was like was like counterpoint on the drums and 40 minutes later they're like good enough we'll remember to record that on Tuesday and then they went on with their lives um and yet I, I just think it works so beautifully for, for in so many different ways. I, I think it's I think it's funny on an album where uh, sort of the songs are neatly divided divided between funny and serious. A, a trend living color would not continue on their next two albums. Um, I think it's it's almost the, the the satirical humorous version of Cult of Personality, the the, the hit they're better known uh-huh. for. Um, because it, it um, and also like I, I think it's I would love to see this and I'm too sexy by Right Said Fred next to each other in a mix because they're both takedowns of a certain kind of posturing semi-famous male personality, mm-hmm. um, and um, and I just I, I love that in a band that was largely famous at the beginning of its career for being. Uh, a band started by and centered around a really talented guitarist. This is a song where all four members get to shine on their respective instruments. And I, I just think it makes the song richer for it. I mean, there's great bass parts. Oh, there's, yeah. there's great drumming. There's, there's, there's a really interesting vocal. Um, and of course, like the guitar solo, which is that sort of poppy calypso sounding riff that vernon reed is doing uh and then double tracked with this with this harder guitar and a few well chosen notes it's a very spare solo but it's just like it it works perfectly with like the length and economy of the song i'm i i'm i'm all in i am a glamour boy (laughs) (laughs) and you're proud of it i wanted to say for listeners who might not be aware of who living color is are which is entirely possible because sadly this was really it in terms of albums that they made that really made it a huge impact. Um, some of the things that Kevin, you've just mentioned are really crucial, I think to appreciating why they were such a big hairy deal back in the late eighties and early nineties. Uh, Vernon Reed is the guitarist that you mentioned who is the really the, the figurehead, not the figurehead. He's the, at the prow of the ship of this band and um, he is their chief songwriter, and uh, Corey Glover is the singer that we've been referencing. And in the late 80s, they were discovered, more or less, by Mick Jagger, who overheard them in a club and then produced their first album, and including this song, and then also took them on tour and helped them really blow up. And Cult of Personality was a huge hit, as Kevin just mentioned. It reached the top 20 on the Hot 100. It was a big hit on all of the rock charts, and it won a Grammy for Best Hard Rock Performance in 1990. And 
it is a song that is about what it sounds like. It's about how anyone can become the leader of a cult of personality from Gandhi to Stalin. Um, whether or not we think that cult is good or bad is up to us, but the song is just warning us. And then Glamour Boys was the follow-up single. It was not as successful, but it was the first one that I loved at that age, I remember. We'll talk about that in a minute. And uh, Glamour Boys does, like Kevin said, take a sort of similar approach to this uh, attempt to dis to deconstruct uh, social tropes that we seem to worship unthinkingly. And I completely agree with you that the fact that this song is a little bit more fun and that they seem to be having a better time makes it to me the one that I gravitate to more easily. Like, Cult of Personality is a great song. Great hook, great guitar riffs, but it is so heavy. And I am very often not in the mood for that. But I am always in the mood for someone getting to scream, I'm fierce, in a way that is both <laughs> ironic and unironic. <laughs> and uh, one of the reasons that I am obsessed with this song is that it lives, I think, at the fulcrum of sincerity and irony so well. Like, it, you don't scream, I'm fierce, if you really think you're fierce, you know? <laughs> It's like you don't actually have to, you don't actually say it if you are it. And in the music video, they are wearing day glow onesies, I think, for lack of a better uh, term. Huh? And uh, the mm-hmm. the two glamour boys that they're singing about are these guys that have big plastic heads on. And they're like walking around and buying designer clothes in very obviously fake sets. And there's just something very over the top about it that I love because it's this wink and it's these guys who know that they're making a video for mtv mocking the idea of uh glamour it's like they are the thing that they're they're an they're an uruboros uruboros the snake that eats its own snail you know that thing Mm -hmm. sure that whatever however we that wait say it again uruboros great uruboros that that's probably right that's a word i only ever see written down listen just let us know I think that yeah. the the density of their references to themselves and others in this song is a testament to the incredible intelligence that's underneath this music. And the last point I will make to to uh, confirm my belief that that is true, only in a song this fun could you get away with inventing slang like G-boy. And at the end of the second verse, they say... If one does, there's no need to worry. Another G-boy will take his place. Well, nobody has ever said G-boy in reference to Glamour Boys, except Living Color in this song. But you've got to be real fucking confident and having a really fucking good time to just invent slang like that and just act like it's always been there. The defense rests. <laughs> yeah, it. I mean, it creates its own dictionary, this song. And uh, like in a larger sense, I think that the commentary that living color does like i i'm with you like i think cult of personality is a great song that doesn't hook me as well because it it is so heavy but this is a band this is like a hard rock band composed of people of color who had this like um I think they just had to sit through like innumerable interviews like, you know, so what's it like to be black and play hard rack instead of rap? And they're just sort of like <laughs> staring at the camera like, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, I just sort of, I feel like I remember that happening and they're just like <laughs> trying to kill Tabitha Soren with their minds. Maybe it wasn't her. <laughs> no offense, girl. 
But it's like, <laughs> but that she doesn't care. She works as a photographer now. Yeah, I mean, look, she <laughs> she put the time in, and we we respect her. But it's like there's a um, there's an apartness and an outsiderness that's like these are. Um, artists like Vernon Reed is not an was not an unaccomplished person prior to prior to starting this band. Um, but then at the same time, there's that um like othering of them by the music business and the music press. And there's I mean that cr- the art that that creates is fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, I, um I, I love how much of what they do is a comment on uh, on this idea of of being a, a black hard rock band, um, and not just not just because they are, um, but I, everything down to the title of the band. I, I, I always took the name Living Color um, to mean the way it was used later, um, a few years later on the show in Living Color, which means we can do anything. We are pointedly african american and also that means um that means freedom as opposed to as opposed to restriction or uh doctrinaireness or being stuck in a category um and um and i think i think there's also something kind of maybe a little vain but works perfectly for this song and this video um these are four guys guys wearing day glow onesies and they look amazing in them. Yes, they do. Like like <laughs> these guys look these guys if anyone ever looked great in a day glow onesie, it's the four guys in this band. <laughs> We're going to take a break from talking about Living Color to do a pop chart astrology reading. That's what happens when I take a song that was number one on an important date in your life, and then I use it to extrapolate your entire destiny. Today, we're going to be doing a birthday reading for Jenna. Now, Jenna was born on October 4th, 1980. And if you were listening to this episode on the week that it drops, that means this is the week of Jenna's 40th birthday. Happy birthday, Jenna. And the song that was number one, Jenna, on the day that you were born was none other than Another One Bites the Dust by Queen. And oh my God, I could teach a graduate course just on this song. But for the purposes of this reading, we're going to zero in on a few pertinent facts. First, however, let's listen to a little clip. Jenna, you said in your email requesting this reading that Queen is one of your favorite bands. And honestly, being born under a song like this, I can see why. It is obviously an awesome song. I mean, it's it's so classic that it's almost hard to hear it, right? Like, it's been woven into the fabric of the culture so deeply that it, it almost feels like it was always there. But it wasn't always there. In fact, this song wasn't even necessarily going to be a single until Michael Jackson heard it and then told the members of Queen that they should absolutely release it as a single. And then it went on to become, in some ways, the biggest hit of 1980. It was uh, their second number one of that year after a crazy little thing called Love. 
They were the only artist in 1980 to have multiple number one hits. And another one bites the dust was the longest running song in the top 10 that year, as well as the longest running song on the entire Hot 100. So a huge, huge success. And of course, since then, it has been used in sporting events and film montages and commercials. And it's just always, always around. And, you know, there is some uh, feeling that the song's Baseline owes a lot to Good Times by the band Chic, and the members of Chic have posited that. And, you know, sure, but it also owes something to the completely inimitable skills of Freddie Mercury as the singer of this track, as well as to the overall excellence of the band in playing the song. And I think it's really fascinating to consider what a big hit it is, considering that The lyrics don't make a ton of sense. I mean, they seem to be generally equating someone getting shot with someone being having their heart broken. Like there are many ways you can hurt a man, Freddie Mercury says, and one of them is uh, getting shot and one of them is being broken up with. I mean, I think that's what it's about. But the point is, like, the song can be a little bit nonsensical and clearly still drive something home because of the passion of the performance and the excellence of the groove. Excellence of the groove. So Jenna, what does this mean for your destiny? Well, here's what I think it means. Your success, your most volcanic success is going to come when you trust your gut over your mind. The lyrics don't always have to make perfect sense, but your gut and your heart are going to respond to the groove, if you know what I mean. And if you allow yourself to trust your gut and don't think your way out of the thing that you know is going to be right for you, I think you're going to be delighted by the success you have. And very often that call to your gut might come from an unexpected place. It might come from Michael Jackson, you know, someone that you wouldn't necessarily anticipate, but that whoever gets to your gut and speaks to your gut, that it doesn't matter how they do it. It matters that they are doing it. So the next time that you want to take a leap, just remember another one may be biting the dust, but it doesn't have to be you. I, Jenna, I hope that you enjoyed this reading and I hope you have a very happy birthday. And listeners, if you would like to have a pop chart astrology reading of your own, just shoot us an email at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com and we will tell you how to make that happen. And now, back to Living Color. Well, they're like, okay, you want us to play this game? We can, we can play this game. Um, I'm also struck by how 90s this sounds, and not in a bad way. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you guys, A, agree, and B, have any thoughts about why that is. That it sort of, like, reflects forward to a more, like, not grungy, but, like, uh, I don't know. It definitely sounds like the kind of song that you would hear over a montage of Julie and Eric having fun in New York City in the real world. Yes, and may have. <laughs> Who knows? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But that's a compliment. I, I was going to say like, I was going to say like, like, like Sarah and Bailey in Party of Five, maybe like sure. painting sets for a uh, for a high school play or something like that. Same montage. <laughs> um, but there's something about uh, the combination of really bright production that you know it's very crisp and it's very clear. And it's and and those guitars that are still clearly indebted to heavier metal of the 80s, like the combination of early 90s bounce and clarity and uh, 80s heavy metal guitars really does locate this in time. But there's also that um, the reflection of the content shifting, like I think most of the rest of the culture had not quite started um, curdling 
in curdling in um all right i'm gonna start that sentence over you saw i would say at the turn of the 90s and the early 90s on mtv the the music business like souring on itself in Mm. a lot of grunge and alternative music and living color was like five years ahead of that i would say yeah and absolutely and the difference is that living color doesn't seem (sighs) natalie merchanty about it yeah or or kurt (laughs) cobainy either like they're they don't seem like they're they're pissed but they're not beaten yes is is the way it's perfect way to put it yeah yeah and they're not inward facing they're they're you always got the sense you i always got the the thing that never spoke to me about grunge is how uninterested it seemed in you even being there (laughs) yes i mean there was always (laughs) there was always this notion like if you went to see screaming trees that they would glance out at the audience every now and then and be like oh you're here Okay, that's fine. We have we have three more songs, and we really don't care if you leave in the middle of it because we're all just kind of facing each other, and we're only here for our own pleasure, and maybe not even that. Um, and I think I, I think like I'm not going to. I mean, Living Color is a New York band, and, and they're not unaware of their status as entertainers, um, or else like everything on this album, despite drawing from a bunch of different musical styles is catchy. Like, like there's always, a, there's a pop sensibility to every single song on this album. Yeah. That's a great um, point. Yeah. And I, and I also think there's something like, I, I can't stand this term, but there's something a little world music-y about that lead guitar riff on Glamour Boys. Um, it sounds Caribbean or West Indian to me. Um, and I, I realize I just used the word calypso, which probably is sloppy and not not ap- applicable here. I used that earlier, but like it it feels post United Colors of Benetton, post post you know post Berlin Wall, where where we, it was okay to draw musical influences from across nations and races and time. Um, something that I I do give the '90s credit for giving pop music permission to do. Yes, um, uh, and I think like. I think I, I was I was doing a little investigating on on their influences and who they influenced, um, and I, I can't believe I hadn't put this together before. But like, if you follow that thread of In Living Color being five years ahead of the '90s, um, they're natural inheritors in a good way. Um, someone who sort of took what they did and used it well as a band like Rage Against the Machine, which is a, which is another, which is a more straightforward heavy metal band, but another multiracial band draw who, who who sort of saw their perspective as 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 at least hemispheric, if not global. Um, and then you follow it totally the wrong way. You get like you get like Limp Bizkit, who clearly is borrowing from black music but essentially essentially like sitting on it and making heavy metal music and saying oh we also know how to rap too yeah, or we don't know yeah. how to sing like this is one thing yeah. about living color like <laughs> you're not going to i think there is like a grunge sort of emotional sensibility but you're so right that it's like mark and i refer to um uh everybody loves our town all the time and just like that you know nobody's having any fun like yes nobody's enjoying (laughs) this everybody's like always we went platinum oh Oh, god oh my god (laughs) guys like enjoy it go buy something you don't need and then set it on fire fuck's sake like you don't know how to do this Mick Jagger. And I think the influence of the Rolling Stones 
if in no other way their enjoyment of their own superstar status at least maybe rubbed off a little bit yeah you know that's such a good point like they are grunge music but they'll but they are not embarrassed that they're successful and they're not embarrassed that they're talented yes like they're, they're not trying to constantly it's like one of my touchstones for the most exhausting male attitude is in uh Fight Club when the Jared Leto character wants someone to make him ugly. They want he wants them to beat him up until he's not pretty anymore. And I'm just like, God, yeah, damn I'll it. do it. I just shut the fuck up. Yeah, he's <laughs> like, oh no, shut the fuck up. <laughs> oh no, I'm like really beautiful and I'm talented and I have a lot of success and like I can really sing really well and I have gifts and I can make people happy with those gifts. I guess I'd better go do something to fuck all that up so I can be more real. Get over it. Living color does not worry about that. And I just am slamming the desk as I say it because I mean it. So, yeah. And (laughs) this is also making me think about, you know, in the late 80s until about 93, you had mainstream acceptance of a lot of music by black artists that didn't get easily categorized. You had... Tracy Chapman being uh, one of our leading folk artists. You had Living Color. You had Fishbone. You had Lenny Kravitz. You had... Say what? PM Dawn. PM Dawn, exactly. Yes, PM Dawn, Arrested Development. Like, it was Michelle and Dake. Why don't we talk about Michelle and Dake Acello. Yes. Like, it was just a really... It's really interesting to me to see that, of course, black artists are still making music that is vastly diverse in terms of its genre beyonce of course is a leading light of this like she never settles on any one genre for very long but i just feel like this was a time when the mainstream of music was going to be much more accepting of that and um it makes me feel a little bummed that if you want to hear a black artist who is making folk rock um you have to dig a little harder whereas in the late 80s and early 90s all you had to do was turn on the tv or turn on the radio yeah that's that's true I have this theory about Fishbone, Sarah, which is which is largely ill-founded. But but hang, hang on for for five seconds while I while I while I spill it out. Um, I feel like where in Living Color came from, it made it easy to, easier to be who they who they were. Um, I think in Trails Blazed by other New York artists, most most contemporaneously to them, someone like Jean-Michel Basquiat, mm. like made it very made it easier to be a black artist, um, uh, spending time and creating in mostly white spaces. And the fact that the fact that hip hop had already um, complete had already gone on that journey a decade before in New York, um, I think in Living Color benefits by being. A, a band, a black rock band from New York, whereas opposed to Fishbone being a band from Los Angeles, I feel like there's just far more segregation in what counts as an LA sound. Mm. Um, there's, there's very, I mean, granted they are of different generations, but when you say an LA sound, you could be talking about the Mamas and the Papas, and you could be talking about NWA and, Motley and Crew. never the Twain Show. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. But never the, never shall they meet. It's true. I think that's really yeah. like whereas, a good point about LA. Um, bands generally and the fact that like there's not that like just physical compression of everyone being on top of each other and just like the closeness and verticality of New York City versus the horizontal 
at, at like nature of life in LA and cultural life in LA where things are just more spread out. Like, yeah, okay, everybody's on the strip or everybody's at the whiskey, but then that era ends and something else comes in and I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's a good And there's point. also like a and a critical mass of the number of people in the business. Um, the, I, I just saw a documentary about Cream Magazine, which was a which was a rock and roll magazine from from based in Detroit. And I was just thinking, oh my god, is this going to be a bunch of insufferable, like long haired white dudes talking about like how great Iggy Pop and the Stooges were? That they were, but that like wasn't the only <laughs> thing happening in Detroit. Um, and and like by minute nine, Alice Cooper, who was originally from Detroit, is like. By the way, just so you know, this whole idea that like us and the Stooges and the MC5 weren't interested in Motown, complete horseshit. Like how many how many musicians do you think there were in Detroit? There was about 30 and we all knew each other and we all went to each other's gigs. And so even though Detroit was a large city, there was this idea like if you played music in Detroit, you were part of a very small community and everybody kind of kind of overlapped and hung out with each other. Um, and, and, and it was in large part because like the industry was only there in the slightest possible way. Um, I think it's it, due to the, the the sort of the business being in a place like Los Angeles, it's very easy for those different like sections of the record store to never overlap with one another. Yeah, because the business interests are already so clearly defined that you get siphoned off quickly. Yeah. It's now making me think about um, – obviously, I just want to say again, like clearly there are other musicians who are doing this now. Tyler, the creator, is a great example. Countries, I've uh, got Darius Rucker and Jimmy Allen and Mickey Guyton and – um, but it's making me think about there's this Broadway musical that came out in 2008-ish called Passing Strange by a guy who goes simply by the name of Stu, S-T-E-W. His name is Mark Stewart. Um, and it's such a wonderful show. And it's about his life as a black man who is mostly interested in rock music and how he has to travel the world to figure out which communities will accept him. And uh, the music is such wonderful music and the writing is so good. And uh, I'm just thinking if you're listening to this and you would like to see a film that gets at some of the things that we're talking about with regard to living color, track down Spike Lee's film version of Passing Strange because it's just such a wonderful companion piece to this conversation. Okay, there you go. Sidebar. Good sidebar. I think so, too. Um, Before I forget, since we're on the subject of sections of the record store... Kevin, I think you might have some uh, relevant materials to share with our listeners. Would you share those materials, please? I would. Thank you for asking. Um, I uh, I recently took a break from writing books and co-directed um, with my co-director Christopher Boone uh, a documentary called Vinyl Nation, which is about the comeback of vinyl records in America over the last 15 years and the connective power of music, particularly in a very divided social time. Uh, vinyl Nation is available now at vinylnationfilm.com. Uh, where you can rent it for 72 hours digitally at that very website, vinylnationfilm.com. And your ticket price goes towards, we split half the proceeds with independent movie theaters and record stores in 35 states all over America. I just want to say, I loved this movie. And when I bought my ticket uh, at a different event earlier in the year, I was able to donate directly to an indie music store in my hometown of Chattanooga, Tennessee. So the fact that there's, 
so much activism baked into the spirit of what you're doing to promote the film, Kevin, I think is awesome. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. And I'm so glad like we, we released the movie for one weekend in April on what would have been Record Store Day this year. And uh, I was I was super happy that you bought a ticket and saw it and enjoyed it so much. Well, and I want to say that one thing in the movie that has really stuck with me that I think will also bring us back around to Living Color. There are scenes of a large record store convention, I guess. I can't really remember what it is, but you know, it's that it's that hole filled with people selling records. Sure. Yeah, it's the Austin Record Convention. It's it's the largest record convention in North America and the second largest record show in the world. And I was just so struck watching that by the fact that there were all types of people there. Ages, ethnicities, gender presentations, like it was truly like a, a reminder that the arts can really bring people together. And uh, it's just like really moving. I still think about it, actually. And um, I think that when we remember that music can can belong to anyone, uh, it, it's just really nice <laughs> I to agree. be a Pollyanna about it. That scene made me miss the... Um... <laughs> The WFMU record fairs that I used to go to, um, they would like rent out the Park Avenue Armory sometime and sometimes, and um, they had this like wheel of compilation CD fortune, and I won this compilation <laughs> CD this one time, and I still like I listen to songs from that all the time. It's how I discovered that Girls in the Garage disc, and yes, um, such a good one. This is one of the things that like. There's so many other things going on in this crazy year of 2020 that sometimes I forget to miss things. And then when I'm reminded, um, I miss them intensely. But w like I look forward also to being reunited with them. And I think that uh, Vinyl Nation does a really good job of um, infusing that rue that I think we all feel about being separated from each other in our old lives with um, that like uh, positive apprehension for when we get to resume. Yeah, yeah, we were actually, we were a little worried when we were coming up with like what we were going to do now that we were in the middle of a pandemic. Like, we didn't want people, we didn't want to sit on our movie for a year and then have people watch it and be like, oh, this is a postcard from a past age. Like, we can't, we just can't do those things anymore and we may not ever be able to do those things again. That would have, that would have broken our hearts. Um, and, uh, so instead we were, we were, we, we, we try it, we tried to cast it as, um, Look what we miss and hopefully look what we have to look forward to. And, and Mark, I'm so glad you brought that up because when we were filming at the Austin Record Convention, we, we actually had a huddle beforehand before we got there. And um, and we all sat down and we're like, okay, if everybody in here looks like the comic book guy from The Simpsons, then this is probably a waste of our time. <laughs> right. Like we'll get it. <laughs> we'll shoot the sign outside that says Austin record convention. We'll shoot a couple of pairs of hands, like lifting boxes of records onto card tables. And then we'll go, we'll go back to the hotel. And, um, but if, if what we think is going to happen, which is that this is a presentation of the, of the complete rainbow of the kinds of people that are now interested in vinyl records. Well, then we need to film all of them. Like if you see someone over 70 or under 10, film them. Yes. If you see a guy wearing a dress, film, film him or her. And if you see, if you see a couple that is, that is multiracial, film them. Like, um, if you see a woman selling records, film her. And so that was, that was kind of our mandate for the entire day. And, um, and it was just like, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad it came through in what you saw. Yeah, it totally did. Um, so I want to go back to the idea of misapprehension of 
living color uh, in the fact that Sarah and her beloveds misapprehended the lyrics. <laughs> I, until I was doing the research for this episode, thought that Living Color was a British band because of the U in color and the U in glamour. And then I found out that I was wrong, of course, and they just put it in there because they thought it looked cool. <laughs> well, and Ferdinand Reed was yeah, and born I believe- in UK, right? Okay. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. Whew, thank God. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I thought that until, I don't know, five years ago. And then someone told me that they were Canadian, which I uh, believed without checking. <laughs> I was like, oh, Crab Territory. Gotcha. What? <laughs> they could be from Edmonton. I don't know. They're from Yellowknife. Oh, God. Yellowknife. <laughs> That's got a color oh, in the name. God. Well, now that we've had a Yukon reference, I'm really... I'm really not sure where we go from here. Has everyone <laughs> has everyone addressed all the things that they need to address before we head into the frozen north? I'll tell you one. May I share my quintessential late '80s moment with this song? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, Take us home. Okay, so I was I had this song on cassette tape. And um, I had that terrible problem that 15-year-old straight white men have with music, i.e. having hang-ups about things that aren't worth having hang-ups about Mm. and lording them over people because you think it makes you a more substantive person to do so. (laughs) And and mine was like, you have to listen to an album straight through. You can't fast forward to any of the – to the hit songs because you're just not – you're just not – you don't have enough moral fiber if you do that. And so I'm in, I'm in, I, I was one of my friend, one of my few friends that had a car because my parents had like, had like left one of their old cars, like to essentially sit and wait in the driveway until I, their oldest kid got a driver's license because they knew full well, they could then count on me to haul my two brothers around. And they were right. Um, and, so I'm driving my mom's old Volvo that she had let wait for me. I have the cassette tape of Living Colors Vivid in. And I'm driving two friends of mine to, wait for it, TCBY. Um, <laughs> That's the country's best and, yogurt, I know exactly you know. when yeah. you are. Exactly. <laughs> and so I throw in, in Living, I throw in Living Colors Vivid. We all rock out to Cult of Personality. And then one of my friends who, and here's, here's the most delicious irony of this, is these two were sisters and they now are the front women of, of a really fantastic rock band here in San Francisco. Um, the younger of the two sisters reaches from the back seat to the tape player and presses fast forward. And I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, how could you? And she's like, I'm fast forwarding to Glamour Boys. Um, and, uh, and it was clear that she had done this a hundred times before, or they had both done this a hundred times before, because like without even looking at the tape player, they just reach forward, stop, and it's right at the beginning of uh-huh. Glamour Boys. <laughs> and I'm like, and and so Glamour Boys to me was always, to me at 15 was always like, oh, that's the sellout version of it, of Living Color. It's not about something substantive like cult of personality. And like I just remember stewing over my like chocolate and vanilla swirl <laughs> with with peanut M and M's on it afterwards. Like, that, thankfully I, that, I, I really hope i'm less insufferable than that than i am now the juxtaposition <laughs> of your righteous cultural rage 
and you eating peanut M&Ms off of frozen yogurt yes. is exactly right. Oh, my God. Right. You're like, I can't even now, enjoy talk- these gummy bears. God damn it. <laughs> they taste like ashes in my mouth. I'd like another scoop, please. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sitting there. I, I have wheels at age 16. I'm with two friends. I'm listening to a great album, and I'm about to eat, you know, 500 empty calories for two and a half dollars. And somehow I found a way to to be miserable yeah. in this. In this <laughs> so it's like it's like. And next, I was mad at hugs and world peace. Oh like, God. <laughs> because the hugs had the audacity to be wearing a Debbie Gibson T-shirt, unironically. Yes, how could they? <laughs> um, I feel like now we cannot leave this conversation until we dig into one of the things that used to torture me as a young person, which is the moment that. Apparently, this can't be yogurt became the country's best yogurt. And I was just like, how the fuck can you just change what TCBY stands for? Like, what? And now I feel like there's been this whole campaign of erasure of the nation's memory because sometimes I feel like I'm the only one who remembers that it used to stand for this can't be yogurt because there was a time when frozen yogurt was a new idea. And seeing. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't know this, Mark. This is very good information. I mean, look, I, w- I will stand out here and tell you that I remember this. And it's kind of like one of those movies where the aliens make everyone else in the town forget that you were ever born and you know that you're there. I know I'm here. Mark and Sarah Talk About Songs is hosted by Mark Blankenship and Sarah Debunting and edited by Sarah Debunting. That's me. Need to talk to Mark and Sarah about song requests, ads, or birthday readings? Email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com, tweet us at talksongs, or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash massdas.podcast. To become a supporter and producer of the podcast, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash mastass. And as always, thank you for listening. Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk, Mark and Sarah talk about songs, talk about songs. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.